The phrase separation of church and state has been a bludgeoning weapon the left has used to keep the evangelical church quiet in America when it comes to really important cultural issues of our day. But what did the founders and the framers really mean when they referred to the wall that should separate church from the state? Dive into this episode of Jesus, Sex, and Politics as we bring in town hall columnist and American historian Jim Hunsinger to talk about what the true history of that wall of separation really is. Welcome to the Jesus Sex and Politics Podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all those things that culture doesn't want to talk about. That'll scare you. Hey, today we have a, a returning guest, Jim Hunsinger. He writes for uh, Town Hall Finance and the Christian Post, and he, he's a uh, member at Life Church. Comes Welcome here. back, Jim. Yes. Thank you. Good to be here. So, uh, so we, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, this idea of separation of church and state today, and Jim has a wealth of knowledge just on this this idea of where where did this wall of separation originate from? What did our founders and forefathers mean when they talked about that? And how has it been warped by the left to keep the church silent today in today's culture? So, Jim, thanks for being here with us. Yeah, great, great to be back with you. Yeah. So, take us dive dive in a little bit because you and I have had some good conversations at church on Sundays, and and uh, just the the difference between the founders and the forefathers. Kind of explain that, and then also you know, kind of this idea of the pulpit was always kind of out front leading on these issues. Um, and how have we gotten to the place where the pulpit has really been silent now in America? Yeah. And, and, and you know, if we've talked over, over the last several years, um, I'll say in order to, in order to understand the founding fathers, you have to understand the forefathers. It's kind of like the old Testament, and new Testament. If you understand yeah. the new Testament, you really got to understand the old yeah, Testament that's right. and yeah. all that. Um, so I guess, to, I, I guess I'll try to give a little bit to give some context mm-hmm. to, to that. So I'm going to read some things from a historian, uh, James Hudson, which you probably never heard of, but a little background, obviously a historian, you know, PhD, but he was also the chief of manuscripts at the library of Congress. So again, not a, not a small fry guy. So something that, uh, he, uh, he discusses in something I read, he's talking about Alexis de Tocqueville when he was yep. here, you know, in the 1830s and referencing some of his writing. And in referencing that, um, Hudson noticed that everywhere de Tocqueville went in America, um, he encountered the convictions fostered by, and I, I like this, I like this phrase, the evangelical juggernaut. <laughs> um, That's awesome. that, that religion was essential to the political prosperity and the durability of the republic. Wow. Not a democracy, a republic. And it also goes on to state that de de Tocqueville um, noted that there must be an association between religion and government of the union in reference to the Mm -hmm. United States. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's given some context. Um, He also also notes that uh, the religious environment in the, you know, in, in the majority of the colonies and he, he calls it truly was a miracle of the age. And the reason he says that is historically, globally, there'd never been anything like that before. That plurality of religions living uh, um, in you know, harmony, at least in a time when the, uh, in the 1830s when he was here. That, that's unprecedented in the history of the world. And it was truly an American thing, a phenomenon that uh, happened and developed. Um, so with that, America certainly accomplished something unique for the first time in human history. And he also noted that it, it happened spontaneously in a number of places around the colonies or, or you know, at that time, to devote, um, 
Alexis, I oh, guess I'll the, say. The, the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tocqueville <laughs> came. So it wasn't just like one thing that spread out. It just was spontaneously going on. Yeah. So so from that, I dive, try to dive into some of that from um, uh, the historical perspective from our forefathers. And the reason why I'm doing this is um, why it's so important is you know, what our founders put in place was great. I'm not taking anything away from them, but really what I like to call that forging that went on with our forefathers was at times quite, quite brutal. Um, I mean, um, people were expelled from their church, expelled from their towns, put in jail, sometimes executed due to religious disagreements. And they, instead of saying denominations, you say sex, you know, the different sects of churches were around. So they, they really, worked hard for 150 years, I said, you know, at times quite brutally to get this figured out over time um, to do that. Um, so something else that, uh, in looking at that, something else that happened, and this was in 1668, at post the Glorious Revolution in England, um, that also resulted on an impact in colonial America that the proliferation of, uh, you know, different religions and religious freedom actually started expanding so it did have an influence, and actually it was the number of churches actually doubled in that time post the Glorious Revolution. So mm. still obviously a lot of connection between colonial America and, and, and England since we're an uh, English um, colony. Um, but our forefathers really longed for and drove this proliferation of uh, religious freedom and expansion. Um, what's, what's interesting is uh, looking back to a particular English theologian. I don't know if you've ever heard of Richard, Richard Hooker. Yeah, the English theologian, yeah. certainly a predominant guy, and oh, by the way, he was a, a very strong influence on John Locke, yeah. who also influenced our founding fathers. And if you read Locke, I mean, he's referencing um, and quoting uh, Hooker all over the place. But uh, so this is an argument that Hooker had. He said, "From the from the state of pagans, we differ in that with one uh, with us, one society." is both the church and the commonwealth, so when it's a commonwealth and organizational civil government, um, which with, with them it was not. Our state is according to the pattern of God's own ancient elect people, which people was, was not part of them in the, of the commonwealth and part of them of the church of God. Um, but what, he, what he's referencing is, is the Hebrews. Is is that that becomes this model, and actually the model of um, colonial America, and eventually constitutional constitutional America post revolution. Um, but basically, is he's noting that the Commonwealth or a civil government must be uh, bound and, and applied to um, the chief, as he notes, under the chief governor, um, whose uh, supreme authority they they can depend. So yep. God, so God, God, yeah. God ultimately is the ultimate authority, um, regardless. Um, and also, like I said, in reference to the the political structure that God helped Moses create for the uh, Israelites in the Sinai Desert. And, and by that, you're saying the thousands, hundreds, and fifties, and tens, kind yeah. of the Hebrew Republic. Essentially, you've talked about yeah, that before. The Hebrew Republic. Yeah, and so where where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, yeah. tells him, "Hey, you can't do this all on your your own. You got to appoint rulers and governors over a thousand, yeah. over a hundred. Which is, you look at that and you correlate it to our day. The thousands would be the federal government." The hundreds would be the state government, the fifties would be the county government, and the tens would be the city government. Yeah, and just kind of how it just models what God models. had told Moses to do, and also yeah. their functionality from the legislative and uh, um, judicial kind of construct and functionality. Yeah, was all part of it. So, um, so again, so th- that that's influencing our forefathers 
you know, because that's long enough ago. And even though I, our, our founding fathers referenced somebody like Locke as well, our forefathers and a lot of the pastors referenced him and quoting him in their sermons and, and so forth as well. So to put that in context, so for example, um, uh, 34 years prior to the revolution, um, Nathaniel Appleton, uh, as one of the colonial pastors um, in 1742, actually would uh, actually orate, you know, actually a very nice uh, description of American civil government, what it was. So this is before the revolution, but yeah. he's articulating that. And that also that functionality from a uh, the ancient Hebrew standpoint was also very common in the colonies, the cities, the way they'd run the, the church. And also those things were small enough during colonial America that the church government was also the local government because the same people served in those leadership yeah. roles. Um, and all that. Um, but he tied, you know, he t- also tied the American civil government prior to the revolution to the ancient Hebrews as well. And also referencing, um, you know, scripture, you know, truth and justice, God's law and God simply as the king, even though we have humans in the civil government, God ultimately reigns as, as king um, with that. So with, you know, I, this is a good kind of setup to the revolution. And you mentioned guys like Jonathan Mayhew and um, you, you mentioned Richard Hooker. Is that any relation to Thomas Hooker? Do you know? Um, I forget. I've looked that up once because I wondered the same thing. And I, was and that the I guy can't remember. In Connecticut? Yeah. So Thomas Hooker is from Connecticut. He was born in, I think, Bristol, England, but then immigrated here, Connecticut in, in the 1600s. And he wrote a, he had a sermon on, um, basically God's ordained laws of governance, and it became the bedrock foundation for James Madison when he was drafting the Constitution. And so that's why Thomas Hooker is a pastor. He's credited both in Connecticut and in Bristol. There's there's monuments to him yeah. as being the father of American uh, democracy, essentially. Yeah, Constitution. Yeah, the, yep. And so he was, uh, he was really this uh, inspirational uh, pastor that just laid the foundations for what we have today. So... But but again, it goes back to pastors were leading this Absolutely. charge. They were saying, "This is how God has ordained it to work. Well, do it this way, America, or uh, you know the the colonists. Do it this way, and it'll, it'll go well with you." Yeah, and here's uh, from uh, Pastor Appleton. So here's here, you know here's a quote from him: "The nature of these laws is not altered, nor our obligation to keep them weakened by the length of time or changes in circumstances." They are founded in, upon truth, justice, and goodness, and thus are as uh, movable as a as the mountain and as immutable uh, mutable as God Himself. Mm. So, yeah, civil government in a sense should never you modify it for the times, but it never changes for the times. The the, the core principles and yeah. the functions of those of those governments don't change, and so, but yeah, how how it fits culture sometimes you can modify it, but yeah, that so yeah, um, hit on. A little bit, if you would, kind of how do we get to where we are today then? So why is the church, you know, bought into this lie of separation of church and state in the sense that pastors should have no business in politics? Where did that all come yeah, from? I, I, mean, I don't know. It certainly happened in the 20th century. Well, yeah, we, you know, and that's, I think that's, if they go back and look at their history, uh, we certainly were railing against King George the Third. You know, in the 1700s, in the 1800s, we were going after we were going after slavery. You know, in, in the 1900s, we were going after Jim Crow. So, what happened that was that that turning point where the American church all of a sudden starts to buy into we need to keep our mouths shut and we're not supposed to say anything? You know, where where did that occur? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think one of the big impact items, and I'm sure there's other, is and I'm trying to remember what year it was. The 1945 Supreme Court. 
Um, with Hugo Black. With Hugo Black. Uh, 42. Was it 42? Okay, yeah. 42. That was certainly a, 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 a uh, turning point in regards to that, that the Supreme Court made that decision. Um, and for our listeners, tell us a little bit about that decision with, with Justice Black, where, you know, he, he pulls this idea of separation of church and state and says, oh, what the founders meant was the church has no business being involved in that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And you admit, you had mentioned that a while back, I, th- I think in uh, one Sunday too, is, is that he, he re- he's referencing a letter that uh, Jefferson um, wrote to the Danbury Baptists yep. um, at that time. And, uh, and, says that the wall of separation and actually I, I mean, we can go into that next maybe too what the actual actual history of that is but there's a separation between church and state and then utilize that to say the church should have no influence on the the state yeah and all that which is the exact opposite of exactly even what jefferson meant let alone the history behind that as well because it meant the opposite so back to our i'll say our forefathers and by that i don't mean I mean, I certainly do mean some of the pastors and leaders, but just even the colonial Americans at that time, um, as they as they fought and battled. I mean, so they they very much were, you know, you know, we're what are, we're Presbyterian and the Quakers. The Quakers are a bunch of pagans. They a lot of they had a lot of rhetoric like that and really meant it. Yeah, that was again that was all part of that forging. But as they as they approached over that century and a half and got up closer to the revolution, you had this uh, mindset. Um, was in regard to liberty. So what it was, the purpose when they did all this stuff, um, eventually as they get up to that point, the purpose was to establish individual liberty for all Americans to worship God in the manner they saw best fit. And again, that was grounded in fundamental rights and natural law or scripture that they do that, not separating um, government from the people's religious belief. Um, but that's what that was what a turning point was with that uh, Hugo Black and all that. So, so if you would have told them, we'll say 1770s, 1780s, would have asked them about this separation of church and state as we viewed it today, they would have looked, looked at you like you're some type of loon. Yeah. And this gets into the wall separation because the reason for the wall was separation, and I'll, I'll go into that, is to actually separate um, the the church, in this case, the church, not necessarily the physical building and the church and all that, the body, but the body uh, yeah. from the wilderness, the the heathen pagan world. Mm, so, interesting. so when you do that, so that would go to, um, um, the guy, um, Roger Williams. So a little background on Roger Williams. So Roger Williams was a, uh, I guess a, a pastor and he came to Massachusetts Bay colony. So John Winthrop and that crew yep. were there. Roger Williams came and, uh, he got into it with them all the time because he had this at the time, the church and the state in those little cities and things like that were one and the same and they would very much dictate your behavior based on the church in a way they dic- tried to dictate you they did dictate your beliefs and behavior that gets back into if you didn't do it they would kick you out of the church they might kick you out of the community they, they would jail you and even sometimes people would get executed for heresy um but roger williams didn't believe that um roger williams believed um which is what this true separation what it's really separation church and state is this. And I have some, I have find here. I have some quotes by him is what he believed is in order to have proper civil government and the Puritans and pilgrims and all believe this too, you had to have just not religious people. You had to have Christians. And in some cases in colonial America, that was a requirement. Yeah. You had a requirement to serve in civil government. It was that way up until I think mid 1800s actually. Yeah. 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 For quite a while. So you had, you had to have people like that, but what he's against was in that, in that civil service and government was coming down and dictating 
how people behaved and what they believed and how they should worship. And he got kicked out of um, Massachusetts Bay Colony several times, and it went through enough times that the next time he basically um, he got kicked out. They weren't going to kick out; they were they would execute him. Okay, and that came about. And John Winthrop um, he didn't agree with Roger Williams, but he also knew Roger Williams was a very religious and very just and righteous man, and he obviously didn't want to see him killed. So he forewarned him. And Roger Williams, you know, I guess left out of town and ultimately uh, became the founder of the colony of Rhode Island, mm. state of Rhode Island we know today, and also founded the, the city of Providence. Obviously, for, for uh, those um, named for that reason, the Providence. This whole story is recorded in The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall. Oh, is it? And uh, Yeah, in detail. And he talks about just, just, what, uh, you know, just how these guys disagreed with one another and some of the um there was a uh, a woman that was very tied into this whole uh thing as well she had a, a big religious following and it, it they really talk about submission to authority here this yeah. guy was a he was to to be gentle he was a maverick he yeah. he he did not want to um to fall underneath uh the the governor you know he just he was really fighting and and so they said you know we really think it's best that you go and that's where he took a number of those more rebellious people with him to rhode island but then he had to face uh, a lot of what came back on him when he's trying to yeah. to corral a bunch of cats in their rebellion. and they're all they're all it's rebellious great, he's like he's like man was i is this how I acted? Is yeah, this- <laughs> no, I mean, I think that he really learned a lot from yeah. from what he did, but the whole story in great detail is in the light and the glory. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they saw, obviously, the, the pilgrims, and I think even the Puritans saw, in a way, correlated their crossing over the Atlantic to come to the New World of two things. One is the, the Red Sea, they correlated with the Atlantic, they correlated with the Red Sea and the whole Exodus story. Mm-hmm. And also, too, they were coming into the wilderness the pagan wilderness, to create um, this, um, and I guess this would be probably, I think, St. Augustine, uh, the city of God. They, that's what they were trying to create in the wilderness, to this separate out. And they co- also correlated that to the Garden of Eden. Not that they knew they couldn't create the Garden of Eden, only God could, but they wanted to try to emulate that. And so so you, you're saying that, that our founders believed themselves in some ways to be like a second Israel. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That was the metaphor that the founders and forefathers mm-hmm. um, believed in that. So, uh, and I'm trying to find here. So, a quote, some quotes from from. Um, so, Roger William he wrote this uh, um, paper. He wrote a number of things. One called the bloody bloody tenet of persecution, in in rebuke of you know him kind of getting booting booted out and mm-hmm. and all that. And uh, in that is where the, this reference of this wall of separation is, and. Um, I'm trying to find the quote. So, so, so the, okay, yeah. So Roger Williams also argued that the government serves people under God. So obviously that philosophy. Not that that was necessarily different um, from the Puritans and so forth. Mm-hmm. But he said, um, this is a quote from him, First, whereas they saw that the civil power may erect and establish what form of civil government that may seem in wisdom most met, he also know, notes that I acknowledge that the proposition be most true both in itself and also um, considered with at the end of it that a civil government is an ordinance of God to conserve the civil peace of the people as far as concern of their bodies and goods has formerly hath been said. So back to uh, um, property rights in a sense, mm-hmm. 
you know, their, their goods, their bodies, your, your, your body, your mind, your thoughts. That's where he's believing that. And the only purpose of government is to serve that. So not to dictate what you do. That's where he got into it with Winthrop and the others. Dictate to it, but to do that. And another little interesting thing about him with his background is uh, his father was friends with Sir Ed- Edward Cook. And I don't know if you know that name. So Sir Edward Cook was a great British jurist. Um, it's spelled uh, like Coke, C-O-K-E, but pronounced Cook. And are you familiar with the Castle Doctrine and Laws? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's who originally wrote, oh, okay. that, wrote that stuff. And matter of fact, one quote from one of his writings on that, he, you know, you probably heard this before. Castle Doctrine, just, just so our listeners, yeah. uh, I, I hope they're familiar with that. But it is the idea of kind of the stand your ground Yes. Sort of, sort of concept that your house is your castle, and, yeah. and you're the lord of of your manor. Yeah, and, and and we, I mean, the cast we have castle laws in in place to this very day, based on what Cook wrote. And like, here's a quote from it: "A man's home is his castle. Um, for where shall he be safe if not in his own house?" And obviously, that influenced the First Amendment, the Third Amendment, the Fourth Amendment. So that tied to Roger Williams. Um, his father knew him, so actually, rather. Roger Williams served as his clerk and assistant for a number of years when he was young. So again, mm. tie in some of that influence mm-hmm. there with that. So um, I'm trying to, okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, so in that uh, the bloody tenets of um, persecution. So here's um, another thing that um, Roger Williams wrote. <clears throat> um, so he wrote and that when they, the church in this case, opened up the gap in the hedge or wall of separation between the garden of the church and the wilderness of the world. So garden of the church also references back to the garden of Eden. The wilderness of the world is all the pagan societies and everything out there. God broke down the wall itself and removed the candlestick and made his garden in a wilderness, the garden of Eden at, uh, as, as this day, as is this day. And therefore, if he ever, uh, if he ever is pleased to restore his garden in paradise again, Eden, um, it must be of necessity be walled in particular to himself from the world. And again, this wall of separation. So that wall of separation is not to keep government out of, um, or religion out of government. It's really the opposite. It's to keep the pagan world out of this um, and the world to be transplanted out of the wilderness of the world and added to his church or garden. And, and, and since hence he's, he's in a way referencing the great commission. So what was, what was Jesus great commission? Basically, Hey, go out. Okay. There's a chosen people. So go out and get all the Gentiles, get the rest of the world and bring them into the garden. Yeah. Go, yeah. go do that. So he's referencing that. So that wall of separation and his beliefs and philosophy, um, Roger Williams. And I guess I, the wall of separation, it's, he used a hedge, and I, I figure it's scripture, but it's referenced back to some scripture, and I can't remember that off the top of my head, was actually to keep the pagan world separated from the church, which is why you go back to our forefathers, whether they be the leaders, the pastors, or just regular Americans, and you said, <clears throat> yeah, we don't, we don't want religion or the church in the state. They would look at you like, well, then pack it up and go home because we're done because you're, ne- you're going to end up with a pagan, a pagan society. Yeah. Jim, the, and I think this brings up a, a question that a lot of people, because they don't start with the founders, they don't start with the culture of, of a, a good understanding of church history, what happened with the Reformation, how, um, you know, uh, King Henry creates the, the Church of England, of which he is over, 
he's the sovereign he's the over, right? So he can get divorced and whatever, and he, he and it doesn't matter. He can take another wife. It doesn't matter. He doesn't want to answer to the church in Rome, and and then how the, you have you have Martin Luther that's that's you know pushing the Reformation. Everybody's trying to break free from the burden or the thumb yeah. uh, of of Rome over their head. It, it figures into taxation. It figures into you know uh, really political power in so many ways. But there was there was a a, a real um, a, a real genuine wanting to get back to what the scriptures say and not the power and the authority of uh, of the pope so all of that figures into what's going through all the puritans and the and and um and and the pilgrims the separatists you know all of that is figuring in they had seen where the church of england is 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 over everything and the sovereign over england is ruling that and he hasn't you know doctrine changes um he can do whatever he wants to that's what they're rebelling yes. against and and when they go get us as far away from from england as possible this is this is really where you get the beginning of of denominations and you know people look and say well uh, america is bad because of denominations you know denominations have caused all this problem i'm from pennsylvania so i understand the quaker yeah. you know we, we had to study william penn quite a bit um but but the concept was you know hey we're gonna send you over there you know he he has his dad actually uh the the king of england owed owed william penn's father a lot of money gave him pennsylvania and and but there was a religious liberty that yes. was there. You could be other denominations, and the Quakers didn't care. Yes, and and so that made that made Pennsylvania a, a great place to go. When you look at where the pockets of um, people that think this way, and the Anabaptists, and you know the Anglicans, and you know I, I read one place that that when you talk about Catholicism in the in the early colonies, only one thirteenth of Maryland yeah. had Catholicism. That's how based on Protestantism, yeah. you know, the Geneva Bible, you know, copy of Josephus in our in in, in their in the uh, colonial homes. That's that's the that's what they considered religion, right? Mm -hmm. So when they they say freedom of religion they're not meaning all the religions of the world they very specifically mean the christian religion yeah, christian and, and a lot of times specifically protestant absolutely yeah, right denominations a absolutely because that's predominantly what america was so when everybody they they hear separation of church and state they think well don't bring the Christian religion in here. Yeah. That was the religion. In the context of what the document was written about, it didn't apply to Muslims. It didn't apply to Hindus. It didn't apply to any of this stuff. Now, were they still able to come and find peace? Well, we know that because of how they handled the Jews. Yeah. You know, and we have some letters. It says, hey, that's okay. Come on over here. We've got some really um, gentle letters and, and, and letters that I think George Washington wrote that, that we're talking about. About, hey, we we want you to feel safe and secure here. Absolutely, but but when you you think, oh, we're not allowed to have a religion be, you know, uh, the religion of the state. They're actually talking about. They're not talking about Christianity. Christianity was the religion of of the state. They were talking about a denomination in particular. Yes, that was going to come in and tell you to your point about Roger Williams 
exactly how you're going to do all of the ordinances and sacraments of the church and exactly what church is going to look like. The The beauty of America was that you got to read the book yeah. with some freedom. And, and and that's that forging I referenced to our, the I guess, the forefather, like I said, from the pilgrims all the way up to just a little bit before the revolution, that they went through that because they struggled with that. Like I said, that's what I mentioned that persecuted each other to some degree to, to to work through all that. And in a sense that had to be, well, similar to what we're going through, you know, it, you know, in churches here, we've been going through first Samuel in a way they had to go through all this struggle and strife and to build this eventual foundation that you can rest what we have ultimately rested this pluralization of religion. And you're right. Now, can somebody come over here and be something other than a Christian? Oh, absolutely. But nonetheless, our, all our institutions all of them are based on Christian or even Hebrew institutions, and in a sense, you you can't violate that because that's that's the institution. But you can come and practice your religion as long as you don't violate someone else's liberty. Liberty is a huge picture in this. Um, violate other someone else's liberty to how they want to live their lives, uh, practice their worship, and so forth. So I had a, a conversation with a guy on our, my social media here a couple days ago, and. Uh, and just this, probably, I think he's probably in his mid thirties. I don't, I don't know the guy, but he, he, but he was, uh, he was just saying how that we should, we're a secular nation, you know? And, and I said, I said, well, how do you just even go back to the declaration of independence, the laws of nature and nature's God and these God given inalienable rights. What, what, how does that in any way, shape or form paint the picture of secularism, a, a, a nation that is completely void of God? And he said, he said, Oh, well that's just paganism. That's paganism. Cause nature and nature's God. That's that. And he's trying to spin it in a way to say, it's just this, this deist idea of a universal force that put things in motion and but i'm thinking to myself man you're and this guy's in healthcare he's a nurse and and i'm thinking you're not a dumb person per yeah. se you know it's not like you're just a but but yet you're so ignorant when it comes to history and how they've they've twisted this to say oh well the founders really didn't even believe in the christian faith they were and he brought up the jefferson bible and how yeah. jefferson ripped pages out of the bible which he doesn't even know the concept behind that that was jefferson was creating a devotional for how to live a moral life and he was saying put these pieces together and you follow these these concepts of teachings of jesus you're going to be a great moral citizen and it wasn't a it wasn't a he was throwing pieces of the bible away that he didn't like and yet they it's just a we are so uh, incompetent when it comes to history in America right now, which is which has led to all of the problems we have in our society. I, I'm I'm so confident in that. Absolutely, it, our, we don't know where we came from. We have no clue where we're going. And you you look at all the problems in our world, and it's because we've removed the idea of who we are from the fabric of our nation. And well, and, I would like to say that I think that pastors, particularly, we we get courses in in uh seminary training in in bible college we get courses on church history because to understand american history apart from church history like you have to know it's how possible the, yeah yeah like you have to you have to trace things and and you know we 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 have the book of acts is a is a book of theology but it's it's charting the changes that occurred as their understanding you know, really that the church had a, a uh, 
that God had a desire to reach all the nations of the world. So the Jewish people have to go through a transformation, and and Acts lays that out. It's it's yeah, I think it's worth noting that the author of both Luke and Acts is Luke, who's a historian. Yeah, right. And so it's very important to get the details. But a lot of Christians, I really think, could benefit tremendously from picking up a book on church history so that you understand where did stuff come from that helps you go back and understand what are when when people were leaving Europe why were they doing that i mean here we are at thanksgiving we're this is this is being recorded uh you know just a couple days before thanksgiving and and we don't know even where we don't teach our children they don't know they don't know these these central figures uh Squanto and Samoset and 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 all of these different stories that matter to how did we even survive to get here? It's a look at Providence. You know, you mentioned yeah. the 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 founding of the of the uh, city of Providence, yeah. Rhode Island. That word is itself where where God has been intervening. And uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were preaching about this, and I I found a quote by George Washington where he says. Hey, if you can't see God's hand in all of this, you're worse than an infidel. Yeah. And you're wicked. And he says, after I'm done with my present appointment of being a general, I'll have plenty of time to turn preacher. (laughs) Right? Because that was his his mentality. And it was all, and he finishes that, that off with talking about the concept of divine providence. If you don't understand God's role in all of this, in church history, in in the formation, what we were fighting for, you can't begin to understand how this nation was formed and why. Yeah, and, and to Micah's point, he's talking about that guy. Understanding that is, if that's the case, they're deists. Well, one, uh, Isaiah 33, 22 is embedded in the Declaration of Independence, yeah. one. And also, two, if his thesis is true, then that means Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine were also deists. Because they <laughs> reference got, got the natural law. They reference, do a yeah. lot of discussion in their writings on natural law. Yeah. So a lot of theologians, I guess, are deists. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it was so stupid and absurd. I mean, like... And, and but but that's the that's the point. Like uh, this generation has bought into the stupidity and the absurd as being natural now and normal. And and I mean, you can you just look at what's being taught in our schools, and you're like, well, that's the most absurd thing ever. Oh no no, it's totally normal, right? This is you know, guys can be girls and girls can be guys. Yeah. Like even that right there, it goes against the natural law. And you're like, what the heck is going on? And but so where did this where? I think there was a progression in the 20th century. You mentioned Hugo Black in 1942. He, you know, he's a KKK member and he wanted to kick the church out of stuff. Okay. So if you align with separation of church and state, as it is in the modern context, the warped version of it, you're aligning with a KKK member. I just want everybody who's listening to know that don't align with KKK members on things because they're, (laughs) it's normally a bad place to be. Not a good idea. Careful who you stand (laughs) beside. And so, but then it, it went to 1954, the Johnson amendment, and Lyndon Johnson was also a, a bad dude, and he was a racist and didn't want the church. The church he, uh, fought him in, in Texas at every turn as a senator, and so he wanted the church to shut up. So he pushed through the Johnson Amendment, which means if you're a 501c3, if you're a nonprofit, you can't be political. And then we go to 1963, then we remove God from the public schools. So within a 20-year uh, you know, time frame, I would say that is the... 
That was the devil's work to undermine the foundations of liberty in our nation. And, and he did a good job in those 20 years. And unfortunately, the pastors allowed it. And the pastors allowed it. They yeah. did. Like you, a, and, and, uh, that's that's a question I, present I have for company you. Not, not included. Yeah, well, we, we weren't born yet. <laughs> that's right. Right. Um, but but Micah, why do you think that the church stayed quiet during that time? Like, why did they not rail against this? Because the pastors and the, and you can look at most pastors today, and you can see this personality. Their personalities are one where they they don't want to offend. They don't want to make anybody mad. I mean, I was just at a library board meeting yesterday, and I'm sitting on the Hamilton County Library Board, and there are probably 25 leftists in this room. You know, purple haired, masked, uh, just I mean, all the the stereotypical picture of a of a radical leftist that you could think of. Of, like that's who they were, right? And they hate they hate me so much. I mean, there's so much hate coming at them. And 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 most I was thinking to myself last night, and I was like, you know, most pastors, if they had to sit in this role, would be so broken that there are people who hate them so much and they wouldn't be able to probably even get out of bed the next morning. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit just said, Well, hey, welcome to the club. This is exactly what I experienced when I was walking the earth. And they didn't, they, and I just felt like the Lord just said, He said, they didn't crucify me because they love me. Yeah. And that's a good, that's a, like they crucified Jesus because they hated him. Yeah. Yeah. And for pastors to walk in this world of like, I don't want to offend anybody. I hope no one doesn't, I hope, I hope no one uh, dislikes me. I, I hope everyone loves me. I'm like, guys, you've got to get out of that mindset because what did Jesus say? He said, Hey, they persecuted me first. They hated me first. If they've done it to the master, what do you think? You're exactly. going to be treated differently than this. You know, no and, way. And so what I would say to every pastor listening to this, if people don't hate you, who are you really serving? Because if they've done it to the master, what do you think they're going to do to you? You're either going to be hated by the world and a follower of God, or you're going to be loved by the world and a follower of, of the devil. They'll take you into the synagogues and they'll beat you and they'll think that God, they're doing God a favor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They, they... The, the idea that you're not going to experience rejection um, and, and you're going to be liked by everybody, you know, in, in Christian theology, there's a concept of, of having fellowship with the sufferings of Christ, that that is a blessing to us. But, but people look at that as, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be rejected. We, we even think about when you hire a pastor. Imagine if a resume came and the resume said, I've been in prison, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many people would go, well, you're not coming to our church, you know? We, <laughs> yeah. We've never, so Paul the Apostle couldn't become a pastor at most churches, right? right? <laughs> yeah, because we don't want that kind of, I mean, you you and you you have riots that happen around you. You have to be protected by the governor, placed in jail. You know, like, we, we don't want that kind of thing. We've, we've lost track of the fact that, that there is persecution for truth. You know, go back to the Church of England. How many people got burned alive? Yeah. You know, that the, all they were trying to do, put the put the Bible into English yeah. so the average man could read it and, and then hold you accountable to what was really authority, what was really true. They they, they burned Tyndall. You know, like we don't we don't know the story of our own faith coming to our own our own people. Yeah. Well and and 
uh, Eric Metaxas, you were talking about it earlier in his book, his new book, Letter to the American Church, he mentions that just kind of, he parallels the American church with the church of the uh, Germany in the 1930s and how that, that church was silent in the face of evil yeah. and America now is silent in the face of evil. And, and so you talk about what you were, you were telling us before we started recording there, just kind of with what Metaxas was saying. Um, yeah, and, he, he's, well, I mean, he makes this really strong statement. He's like, we've, we've lost our way. If you think that we're going to be able to, to look down on the, on the church in Germany in the 1930s, the American church right now is going to be more to blame than even that church was with, with allowing Hitler to come. You know, they didn't stand up for the Jews they sang louder as people were packed into boxcars and the boxcars rolled past the churches. Just sing louder. Drowned it out. We don't want to have to look or see or think about the horrors that we're permitting because we won't stand up. And there's it, a cowardice, you know? We get this really cool character out of that, which most Christians may not know, but they ought to. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, and here's, here's... And you'll the, find, not to interrupt you, but you'll find most pastors look up to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, then the seminaries he's taught about and they're like, Oh, I've heard, I've heard some of the most cowardice pastors in, in America right now reference Bonhoeffer oh, as a, as a champion of the faith, but they're doing the exact same thing that he was preaching against in the, in Germany in the thirties. And they're saying, Oh yeah, he was a champion. I want to be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm like, you're like the people he was calling out and they can't even see it. Yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer got to the point that he thought to kill Hitler was the best thing he could yeah. do as a Christian pastor. Yeah. That he had to die. <laughs> and he I literally think, participates yeah. in an assassination attempt yeah. because because this guy goes, this this cannot be allowed to continue. This kind of wickedness cannot be allowed to continue. Let, let me let me add on to yeah. that. Referencing, I guess, you know, in this case, Germany and all that that went on. Um, so not just from the pastors, but also we'll say from the people, the members of the church. So um, outside of uh, Munich, Germany is the Dachau concentration camp. And I've been there several times myself and, uh, you know, took my kids there when we went there and all that. And the thing that, uh, and, when I, and my, my wife and I went, we went there a few years ago and took her there. But the thing that always struck um, even me when I went there years ago, the first time, my kids, my wife was, um, this place is right next to town. Yeah. I mean, you could literally throw a rock from, you know, people on that side of town yeah. and throw it over the wall of the place. How did these people not now they claim they didn't know, but how do they know? Well, the answer is they did know to some degree what was going on, yeah. but they, like you're talking about with the pastors, they, they turned the other way. Yeah. A great example. Sing louder. Yeah, yeah. A great example of that in our culture right now is abortion. Yeah, you know the the limbs and and the the babies being dismembered in the womb, you know. And but, but we're literally passing, Michael. We're passing laws right now in some of these states that allow the killing of children if they survive yeah. the womb. Yeah, like this is straight up infanticide. This is Michigan. This just, is just yeah, passed. It's, uh, it's yeah. sick. Back, 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 I guess back to what we were talking about you're back into the world of paganism. You're back into the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's the wilderness. Yeah, that's right. Well, and you mentioned the hedge earlier, Jim. Yeah. Uh, there's a place in scripture where, where Christians talk about the hedge of protection. And that was the book of Job where, where, you know, the, 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 the devil comes around going, Hey, you know, I, I could strike Job, but, but you have a hedge built around him. If you'll drop the hedge and you'll allow me to 
to attack his physical body, well, he'll curse you to your face, right? Yeah. I think, I think you you see that the divine protection of God does build a hedge around us. Yes. So be careful when you say that that you don't want that that hedge anymore. That's really when you're referencing 1962, 1963, taking prayer out of schools, you know, um, trying to get the church to shut up. If you don't shut up, we'll take your tax exemption away. Like that, that was an, that was a, a illegal thing for him to say when he said it. And the church never said a thing really. And, and everything that began to topple domino after domino after domino to get where we are, Today, we can look back and go, why did the church not fight? Because now, I, I, I was just uh, recently in an Assemblies of God um, meeting with fellow pastors, and, I, and we started talking about you know, uh, politics a little bit, and I started to mention the Christians that founded our nation, and David Barton and his book, and, and, and this brother said, well, they're not Christians like we're Christians today. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself... Well, he's kind of right, actually. Uh, 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 <laughs> they were stronger Christians, oh, probably. No, I know, but he meant to say the other. <laughs> I know. And I, I go... I, and we were in a small group, and there's you know three other pastors in this thing, and I look and I go, no, you're wrong. And he goes, no, I'm not. You know, and I said, oh yeah, you're real wrong. And and I said, I'm sorry. I have to I have to respectfully very much disagree with you. Have you read this? Have you read David Barton? Have you done this? Because that's not true. You know, we were marveling over the when when David was on, I'm pretty sure he talked about how any elementary kid yeah. had memorized the book of John. I, I have not memorized the book of John. But <laughs> well, and Thomas or Ben Franklin in his uh, in his uh, if a sparrow uh, falls without God knowing speech, where he actually implores con- the new Congress to start every legislative body with a prayer. So this is the great deist, yeah. right? Like Thomas Je- or uh, who, who Ben did, Franklin did say he was a deist when he was a young when kid. he was a young kid, and then he said, "I realized quickly how foolish that was, and so I gave it up." Right and. He said, absolutely, God does in, intervene. In, intervene in the affairs of men. And so in this, this, you know, it's probably three or four paragraphs long speech. He references 14 different Bible passages in this one speech off the cuff. This wasn't a, like, this was not a, you know, he's quoting it word for word, but he references 14 different Bible passages as the and he's the least religious of yeah. the founding fathers. Yeah, if you wanted to make that argument, like he's the least religious, and he referenced fourteen different passages in that one speech that then set the way for every legislative body in in America to open with prayer. That's why we open our city councils and our state yes. legislatures and the U.S. Congress with prayer every single day. It's because t- uh, Ben Franklin himself. But yeah. but we, you know, uh, for him to do that and not even have to explain those passages. Because people knew that. You're talking about biblical literacy at this point. In in that world, they spoke it so fluently. All those religious idioms that that come up that you know we don't even go, oh man, where'd that come from? The average person today who thinks themselves educated but lacks an education on the Bible is nowhere near yeah. as educated as as our founding fathers. Yeah. No, no, and not only the founding fathers, but just the regular run-of-the-mill Americans yeah, running around right. town, they, yeah. they knew all that. They knew it yep. because, you know, it's like if you read Shakespeare. If you read Shakespeare, but you don't have an understanding of Greek mythology, you're going to have a hard time understanding what this guy said. 
And if you don't know the Bible, you have no chance of understanding what Shakespeare said. You know, that was considered a good education. What changed that people can be so uneducated on God's word and, 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 and think themselves so wise? Maybe let me I give you, um, actually, my background's engineering and manufacturing. So as I studied all this, I can give you, I guess, my metaphor I thought of as I studying like Roger Williams and and the, not again, not just our forefathers, by forefathers, I mean the clergy, the leaders, and just the regular colonial Americans all the way up, and then the founding, founding fathers and the founding generation, is I guess I use this. To me, it's what Roger Williams, and, they, and I know they did mean, I'd use it in a modern term, would be like a one-way valve. That's that's that wall of not really separation, but that's the metaphor. One way vow. So you absolutely must be able to flow religious Christian people up into civil government. Again, if you don't, then pack it up and go home. You're done. You're in the wilderness. But what the one way valve is, but you don't want those people coming down. That's where the one way right. valve closes it off yeah. to dictate to people. And what that's the where they ter- tyranny. Yeah. They saw that as tyranny dictate their behavior, their worship, their thoughts, their mind. I mean, back to the First Amendment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, and Metaxas makes the argument if you don't have freedom of thought within the church, you have no liberty. You yeah. you'll never have liberty. The church has always been the bastion of being able to challenge thought. And uh, they used to say, "Oh, well, it's the universities." Well, who do you think established yeah. the universities? Yeah. It was the church, and now it's the universities that want to cut off and cancel Which all is- debate because because they have no desire for other thinking and freedom of thought. Here's another historical tie to that. Is, uh, so if you go back to, we'll say, around 1770, 1776, I, I can't remember offhand, I think there is like 12, 13, or 14 universities in the United States, as you said, all religiously based. So they had uh, two primary vocations they taught. Yeah. Any idea? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> theology, <Taught> pastors, <laughs> clergymen, <laughs> yeah. and attorneys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and guess what? The curriculum was identical. Yeah. Because yeah. if you go on to d- decide to be a pastor, you're teaching the laws of God. If you go on to be an attorney, oh, you're practicing cool. the laws of God. Yeah. And here's an example: James Madison. So James Madison, after he got, I guess what we call an undergraduate degree, he still wasn't sure. Same curriculum. He wasn't sure if he's going to be a pastor or a uh, um, uh, an attorney. He ultimately chose to be an attorney. But then he kind of went back and started taking school and maybe equivalent to what we'd call master's degree. And you guys probably know some of this. And he studied Hebrew. He was fluent in Hebrew. Yeah, that's cool. The attorney, the yeah. attorney. <laughs> well, I'll tell I you mean, what. And, and John Quincy Adams. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, these, guys, these guys were unbelievable. He was a, wasn't? John Quincy Adams at like 14 years old, the ambassador of the United States, like crazy smart. I think he spoke five or six different languages. The idea that we're so intelligent. I mean, the Bible Bible kind of talks about that in in the first chapter of Romans, right? Professing to be wise, we became fools because we would not acknowledge God as God. And that pastor, it just, I mean, I'm just going back to what that pastor said. Well, they weren't Christians. Like we're Christians. I'm like, Dude, you are so <laughs> foolish, man. What in the world are you thinking? Well, I challenged him and yeah. I said, I, you know, and and thankfully, you know, I sent him a friend request and I said, I really would like you to read this book, right? Yeah. And and just challenged him and I I said, I kind of taught him some of those things that we learned from David Barton about uh, you know, from from that um that book The American Story yeah. or is it Our yeah. American Story no, or The, the American, American, yeah, Story, American Story, which I which I read last month. 
that was a phenomenal book for us. I felt like what David Barton, I told him this, I feel like you just loaded our magazines with the ammunition to crush the enemy. You know, you gave us the the information to go back and fight this fight on where we come from and the only way you can battle that is with truth yeah, yeah. that's good and, and you know we're so secular that and i can't remember the years of this i wish i could i think one was in the late 1700s the other early 1800s but congress the federal congress um almost passed they didn't pass almost passed the official language of the united states to be hebrew oh wow wow <laughs> that's cool that would be you know the secularist guys. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, wow. Jim, it's amazing. I, I, you've got a wealth of information on the forefathers, and and just I, I mean, really appreciate that God has brought you to Life Church, and and just your 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 love for America, but love for the Lord, and and just how the two intersect, and and so Jim, are you doing a life group, man? Doing anything <laughs> where you could teach people this? Right. Where they could you. go, holy cow! I want to learn from that yeah. guy. Where do I go? Yeah. Uh, well. No, I'm not. Although my wife said something about it because Taylor. That's oh yeah, 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 yeah. Taylor's involvement in some of those. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, well, you should be a life group leader. That would be great. Yeah, and if we you're listening this. to this and you want to be a life group leader, just go to Life Church and you could, uh, you, God <laughs> could fire you up to lead as well. But no, it's it's great to chat with you on this. And if you're listening, in all honesty, if you're listening to this, hopefully it's encouraged you and inspired you to get out and speak truth. And don't let the the secular progressive, which is a religion in itself, don't let that paganistic ideology push you away from standing on the truth of God's word in this country. America was founded on biblical uh, values. It, it To this day, the strength of our nation is because of the biblical values that we've upholded. And if, we, if we're going to, to crumble to the sea, it will only be because we've thrown those values uh, to the wayside. So don't let that happen on, on your watch. We're certainly not going to let it happen on our watch. And and so uh, just continue to speak truth. But but Jim, thanks for thanks for joining us well, today. Thank you, gentlemen. So yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. man. Hey, do you want to do uh, the like, subscribe, all the the all that stuff, Nathan, like you always uh, like to do? Yes, our horrible <laughs> attempts at self-promotion. Um, if you love what you're hearing on Jesus, Sex, and Politics, or you just want to tick off a leftist, um, <laughs> you, should, you should like, subscribe, send this as an idea to somebody. You can find us wherever podcasts are, uh, are picked up and downloaded. Get a get a hold of it, and uh, and we would love for you to continue listening. Send us um, any feedback; we'd love to hear that um, to to just know how this podcast is affecting you. Um, because we've we've had people write to us. One lady wrote us from Texas and said, "You know, I I, I had conservative values. I uh, I didn't know where it came from, but you guys connected the dots. She went got." got established in a church, got baptized, gave her life, gave her life to the Lord. And, and, uh, just an awesome story. We want to connect you with the heart of God. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, we've got hyperinflation right around the corner in America. And so Christmas time may be a little bit tighter uh, financially for you. So a great Christmas present would be the gift of our podcast because it's free. All you have to do <laughs> is just send somebody a link and say, hey, Merry Christmas. I can't buy you anything uh, this year, but I can give you a free podcast. And we also very, very much care about what Rush Limbaugh called the minds full of mush. <laughs> The young ones. We, you do not have to have a mind full of mush. You could have a very, very excellent brain. But you need to listen to things just like Jesus, Sex, and Politics. We hope that you will send it to a friend. I love no it. No longer have a mind full of mush. Jim, thanks for being here. Pre- appreciate it. 
Hey. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Check us out next time on Jesus, Sex, and Politics, where Nathan talks about all those scary things. And Micah tries to help. <laughs> we'll see you later.